for endless days. Let's always sing his praise. Orchard family, I'm so glad that you're here today. I I bid you happy Lord's Day. I pray that the grace of God is filling your home or wherever you're watching this. And I hope that you're enjoying the beauty and glory of Jesus this morning. We are back uh, with our series in Mark and a misunderstood king. So if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn to Mark chapter 6. We're going to begin in verse number 45. And as we get ready to read that, I I want to make sure that we think through where we've been. Now, we skipped forward a little bit for last week. It was Mother's Day, and we talked about the faith of a Syrophoenician woman. But we're going back, and the thing that has just happened was the feeding of the 5,000. This good and compassionate shepherd, Jesus, has provided for thousands and thousands of people. And now these messianic hopes are beginning to reach a frenzied state. People are starting to think of this rabbi from Nazareth in terms of politics and power. And the Gospel of John says they actually decide they want to make him their king by force. But as we read today, we're going to read a story that for many of you is familiar. In this text, you're going to hear about Jesus walking on the water and what a tremendous and wonderful thing that is. But if we're not careful, we may miss something much bigger than just the miracle. There are things that Jesus is going to do, this self-conscious theophany, this disclosure of himself. Glory revealed, compassion that is going to be shown to those, but there's also going to be some confusion. And so as we look at this passage, I hope that you will take some time to think about who Jesus really is. Could it be that Jesus is still a misunderstood king? Could it be perhaps that you today don't quite understand what this means and what Jesus has to do with life? I pray by God's grace that you will enjoy and savor and see Jesus in a new way. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to begin Mark chapter 6, beginning in verse number 45. The Bible says this, Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. After he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost, and they cried out. For they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. They were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. And when they had crossed over, they came to the land at Gennesaret, and they moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came, in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. May God bless the reading of his word. Receive it as his living word today. What a gift. 
for us. We pick up after this miraculous feeding of the 5,000. And Jesus quickly ushers his disciples out. Now we know because we've read the entire text that there's a storm coming. It's important for us to think about what that means. It means that Jesus sends his disciples into the storm. It's possible that you find yourself in a storm. And not just the storm that we're all to some degree or another experiencing through a pandemic and phase one and what all that means, but it may be something that's much more personal, a storm that no one else can see, this tempest inside of you, this darkness that you seem to feel surrounded and enclosed by. Whatever it is, we see Jesus, and he is quickly ushering the disciples out. It raises the question, why would he hurry them off? This verb in the Greek is normally an imperative. It's like, hurry up and get out of here. Why would Jesus want to make his disciples quickly leave after they have collected all of these baskets that were left over, after people had been fed and satisfied? Why is Jesus sending those disciples away? It's speculation, but I can't help but wonder if he realizes that they would get caught up in trying to make Jesus about politics and power and get caught up in trying to make him king. People completely misunderstood Jesus. You see, their hopes were self-serving and selfish. They were looking for a way to get Rome's rule off of their back. They were looking for a way not to have to pay those taxes and to deal with those things. And their hopes were fixed on a Messiah that was not about a kingdom that was and that was yet to come. But their idea of Messiah was something that would make life easier, something that would change their circumstances. And as he ushers them out, they get into this boat and they start to make their way to the other side. Now, this is not a short journey, and even in poor conditions, it would usually take six to eight hours just to cross the Sea of Galilee. And they set out, Jesus dismisses the crowd, and then he finds himself alone. And while he's alone, he goes to pray. This is one of three times that Mark mentions the prayer life of Jesus. This is one of three times that he explains what it looks like for Jesus to go and pray. And in all three of these cases, there's some similarities. One, Jesus is praying at night. Two, he's praying alone and the disciples are not there. And three, he's facing either a crisis or a decision. We saw it in chapter 1 in verse 35, and we see it here, and we will see it later in Gethsemane in chapter 14. Jesus was a man of prayer. And I wonder for us, what does our prayer life look like? Do we find that time alone to commune with our Father? Are we recognizing our desperate need? Uh, and are we developing as disciples who pray? Jesus shows us a tremendous example, and, and he has gone alone to pray. And the Bible tells us that while he's praying, he sees the disciples are in distress. Now, this particular word can not only just be painful or distress, it also means tormented. He sees that the disciples are having a terrible time on the water. The winds have kicked in, and they're not making much progress 
It's important to remember that most of the disciples have made their home on the Sea of Galilee. They're familiar with weather patterns. They know what it feels like to be in a boat. They have no doubt had to endure these type of winds before, but they're frustrated. They're tired. This six to eight hour journey now has gone way beyond that, and they're just not making any progress. But Jesus sees them. What a comfort to know. That wherever you are today, whatever your circumstances are, Jesus sees you. Now these disciples are in this boat, and if the winds are buffeting about, it's possible that there wasn't much light from the moon. It could have been that clouds were passing by. They didn't have the benefit of a flashlight, and they certainly weren't going to take their cell phone out and turn on their flashlight. And so it's darkness. They are buffeted about by the waves. They had set out to go to Bethsaida. They really are losing their bearings. They're struggling, and Jesus begins to make his way toward them. Mark is careful to say that he is walking on the water. What an incredible scene to try to imagine in our minds. What is it like if you're in a boat, you're desperate, you are clinging to life, you're trying just to make your way to land, you're not having success, you may not be sure of where you are, and Jesus comes to them. This is the beautiful thing about salvation in Jesus. He comes to us. It's not that you have to figure something out. It's not that you go find him. He finds you. He knows where you are. And what a comfort to know that I am not in my suffering or in my struggle without a Savior that doesn't know where I am. He gets up. He walks to the disciples. There's an interesting phrase in there. He says that the disciples, uh, he meant to pass them by. Now, one of the things that's important for us to think about as those who read God's word and and study God's word, there are these little glimpses of God's glory and his personhood that happen throughout scripture. Some people will call them a theophany or a Christophany. And it is these appearances uh, before Jesus had come in flesh where they could see a little bit of God's glory, a little bit of his power, a little bit more about his character was revealed. And in this, we have a self-conscious moment where Jesus provides a theophany to these disciples. You read that he wanted to pass them by, and you wonder, well, why would he want to pass them by? But if you look at Scripture, this is not an unfamiliar language. This This is something very familiar. In Genesis 15, in the covenant with Abraham, a fire pot appears and it passes through these sacrifices. In Exodus 33, Moses, who has begged to see the God of glory, he passes him by. In 1 Kings 19, Elijah, up on the mountain, goes out, covers his face as the Lord passes him by. Beloved, this is a gift. These disciples have seen God be their provider, for Jesus to be their provider, but now they see a a picture of his power. This is the God who made all the world and everything that is in it. This is the God who divided uh, the waters. This is the God who has divided the dry land from the waters. This is the one who collects the storehouses of rain. This is the God, the creator of all the universe, and all of his creatures know his name. And he comes walking to them, and I really want to give them 
I really want to kind of give them a pass. They're terrified. They cry out, it's a ghost. How are they supposed to get their minds around this? Sure, it's one thing to see these loaves multiplied. Sure, it's something to see someone healed or delivered from an unclean spirit. But what is it like to see the God who established the laws of nature then take those laws and superintend over them? Oh, there have been many attempts over the years to try to discredit this miraculous event. Uh, Albert Schweitzer in the early 1900s said that, well, uh, they just saw, he was actually walking on the shore and they just saw his reflection on the water. And there's all kinds of things that we try to manipulate for empirical data and it couldn't happen this way. And maybe it was borrowed from uh, Egyptian culture, but the reality is this. It's like John said, what we have seen and heard, what we saw. I love the fact that Mark said, and they all saw him. This wasn't somebody was on the waves, was afraid, and maybe they saw something and were not sure. It says they all saw Jesus, and the response was the same. They were absolutely terrified. And they cry out. But something happens that if we're not careful, we miss. Jesus says to them, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Now, in that, we get so much comfort. Uh, what a great thing for Jesus to say, listen, take courage. I, I, I'm, I'm here. Uh, it's a great thing for him to say, you don't have to be afraid. I, I'm your good shepherd who will not only feed you, I'll also protect you. But there's something in the middle that we miss. God's name in the Old Testament, we would say Yahweh. It means I am. And the, the Greek translation of that, ego, I me means I am. It's the way we translate the divine name. Jesus says to the disciples, take courage, I am. Don't be afraid. Some of you right now are afraid. Some of you are in the boat and you're afraid because you're not sure the boat's going to keep floating. Some of you are in the boat and the darkness and you think the darkness will never dispel. Some of you are in the boat and you're afraid of what Jesus thinks of you. Some of you are in the boat and you're afraid he's never going to show up. Some of you are in the boat and whatever the myriad of fears and the anxious moments that grip you, I want you to know there is a Savior and he sees you and he will come to you. And he says, take courage. I am. Don't be afraid. Dear ones, sometimes when we think about religion and we think about Jesus, there is this wrong picture about the idea that we earn his favor through our good works and our good deeds. Sometimes there is this fear of Jesus because we know of the failures in our past. We know the weights that we still carry, the failures that surround us now, the broken relationships that line the corridors of our minds, those places for us where addiction and depression and all the things creep in. But I want you to know there is a God who loves you. He sees you. He will meet you in the storm. Those disciples are terrified. And Jesus gives them a glimpse. Glory is revealed in a way they've never seen. This is different. 
He's walking on the water. He is claiming his deity. I am. He is calling them to faith. And I love this. Mark just says, he got in the boat and the wind ceased. Now, sometimes the winds don't immediately cease for us in the storm. But I want you to know the goodness of God is that when we see this, his word and his presence is enough. The reality that he is with us and will never leave us or forsake us for those of us who are in Christ. This truth that he is born for adversity, that he is someone who will love us no matter what. What a kind and generous Savior. These disciples in the boat are astounded and they still don't get it. I'm actually so encouraged by the disciples because I know in my own life there's just so many times I don't get it and I miss it. And it says that they, they didn't understand about the loaves. They had completely missed the point about the feeding of the 5,000 and now their hearts have been hardened and they still don't get it. And the last time Mark talked about hardened hearts was in chapter three at the synagogue at Capernaum. But there it was synagogue rulers and Pharisees and Herodians. But now his own disciples hear three chapters later, having seen these works of God, having experienced the ministry of Jesus, they still don't understand. And I'm so glad because I think I don't always understand either. I, I think I miss too many glimpses of his glory. Too many of those times that I miss his work in my life. Too many times that I'm so caught up in my own fears and anxiety that I fail to acknowledge that there is a Savior who walks on water and meets me in darkness. They're confused. They don't get it. But Mark, in typical fashion, says that they land at Gennesaret. Now, they were supposed to land in Bethsaida, but with the storm, it's not surprising that they landed somewhere else, but they land there. And the amazing thing is that the people in Gennesaret immediately recognize Jesus. His own disciples struggle to recognize him, but the people there recognize him, and they go run, and they find their friends. They find those that are struggling with unclean spirits. They find those that are diseased and sick and paralyzed, and they just bring them to Jesus. No matter if it's in the uh, marketplace in a city or a town, if they think Jesus is going to be there, they are laying them on pallets everywhere, hoping just to get a glimpse, just to touch the edge of his garment, these tassels that would remind every Jew of what God had done. And Jesus, compassionate, kind. He ministers. So many healed. What's it like in the area of Gennesaret? He sent his disciples into a storm. He went and met his disciples in the storm. They make their way over there and people keep coming and they're looking for the miracles and he delivers on those things. But I think sometimes we fail to realize that the miracles are meant to serve as a fork in the road. The miracles are not the end unto themselves. They are meant to tell us who Jesus is and remind us that we desperately need a Savior. You see, it brings us to that place where we have to be confronted with this misunderstood king. Our primary objective as Christians is not to pursue miracles. Uh, our primary objective is to love God with all of our being and to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. It's to seek the king. But I wonder if for some of us, 
Jesus is still a misunderstood king. I wonder how many of us, we're still trying to earn his favor or we don't quite understand his grace or we think we've just gone too far. We've stayed in the darkness too long. We have lost our way so long that there's just no hope. I wonder how many of us are out there that are in that storm and we're just struggling for faith like the disciples thinking he's not coming, he's not going to show up, he's not going to be here. I wonder how many of us today just need to be reminded of this good, kind, gentle, but powerful, holy King, Jesus. Jesus gives them so many good things. Jesus does so many things for them. And, and it's sad to see these disciples who don't recognize him and the people of Gennesaret that do recognize him. But beloved, I, I want you to know that this gives us a bigger picture. It's a picture of the greatest news ever. For those of you who are struggling, thinking, I've been in the darkness too long, I've gone too far away, there's just not anything I can do, I want you to know the good news of the gospel is this, Jesus rescues broken sinners, and he will rescue you. Beloved, there is no place in the darkness too great for his light. There is no distance that his arm cannot reach, and there is no person that he cannot transform. This is that place where the misunderstood king becomes a reality for us because what he did was instead of God leaving us dead in our trespasses and sins, he got in the boat of sinful humanity. He took on flesh like us. He did what we cannot do for ourselves. He lived perfectly, satisfied every righteous demand of the law, satisfied God's wrath. Justice was rendered on Christ and by his strife. We can be healed. We can be whole. We can be saved. This is the truth of the gospel. And I hope that for those of you, wherever you are listening, stop trying to be religious. Stop trying to save yourself. You've been at the oar in the darkness working far too long. You don't even know your bearings and you don't know what's up and what's down. You don't know what city you're headed for. You don't know where your mind is going to be tomorrow. You don't know what the struggle will be. Beloved, let go of the oars and look to the Savior. Every storm that's over your head is still under his feet. Every gap that you can't cross, he has already crossed. Everything that you cannot do, he can do. There is nothing too great for Jesus. When it comes to the good news of Jesus, it is to not misunderstand who this king is. It is to surrender to this king. It is to die to yourself. It is to stop trying to earn your way into heaven. It is to release religious pressures and instead embrace a savior. Plead upon his mercies for he is kind. Confess your sin to him. Turn from your sin. Cling to him as your only hope in this life and the life to come. We want to help you do that. At the orchard, we talk about the gospel. We talk about family all the time. And I want you to know one of the glorious truths about the gospel is when he rescues us as sinners, he adopts us into a family. And when it comes to being the family of God, it doesn't mean that we have it all together, but it does mean that we have a Savior who does.
It does mean that when we're in storms, we're not alone, that he's in the boat. It does mean that when our pride and self-sufficiency has been breached and we have made a mess of things, that there's a God who doesn't abandon us or leave us. It means that we can get our friends, our family, those within our sphere of influence, no matter where they are, no matter what they struggle with, and bring them to Jesus. He saves, he heals, he rescues. Yes, it is miraculous that he walked on the water. Yes, it is miraculous that the winds ceased. Yes, it is amazing that he healed the sick and the poor and the diseased and the lame, but it is a greater thing still to realize that he rescues and heals us. Here's the questions I have for you today. When it comes to being with Jesus, I want you to know it's so much more than just some sort of theological or sentimental concept. We can be with Jesus, united by the Spirit to the Son in a bond unbreakable. What does it look like for you to be with Jesus? I know for a lot of you, you're like, I don't know that Jesus would want to be with me. For many of you, you're saying, I, I just don't know if I'm ready to take that step. There's a hymn in one of the stanzas that says this, souls in danger, look above. Jesus completely saves. He will lift you by his love out of the angry waves. Jesus rescues sinners. And I know it, he rescued me. And for those of you who follow Jesus, I want you to know that the great danger for us is a lack of faith and a hardened heart. It's much greater than any external threat that we will face. It's much greater than any threat that we face from a pandemic or whatever befall us tomorrow. The reality is for followers of Jesus, a lack of faith and a hardened heart are dangerous things. But just as Jesus is kind to those who are still a long way off, he is kind to those of us who have grown slack, those of us who have grown cold, those of us who have forgotten to savor his goodness. He gives us faith. He gives us purpose. He welcomes us home. If you find yourself in a storm, don't stay there. Look for Jesus. He'll meet you where you are. The last thing I would say as a point of application is this. Is Jesus a misunderstood king for you? Have you come to that moment where you see Jesus and understand who he is? Have you turned from your sin and recognized you can't save yourself? Do you believe the truth about what he has said about himself? I, I am God. I rescue sinners. Have you placed all of your faith and trust in him? If you have not, at the Orchard Church, we hope today that this is us bringing you on a mat to the feet of Jesus and asking you and imploring you to trust that he rescues sinners and that he'll rescue you. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Let's pray together. God, thank you. What a kind and good Savior you are. Thank you for meeting us in storms and darkness. Thank you for being greater than anything we face and thank you for being patient with disciples and sinners and us. 
Thank you for the great love that you have shown in Christ Jesus. Change us. Make us more like him. God, to my friends and my family, those who are out there who are struggling and they have been at the oars for so long, I pray that they will find the freedom that comes in Jesus Christ. For those who feel like they're never going to get out of the darkness, I pray that you will let them see that the light has come into the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it. For those who feel trapped, like they're not going anywhere, I pray, oh God, today that they will see that you are the God who can do all things. More than anything, oh God, I pray that you'll help us to see and savor Jesus. Thank you for meeting us in the storm. Thank you for being in the boat. Thank you for being patient. Thank you for loving us. We want to love you back. And so we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So this week, I want you to think about some ways that we can apply what we've learned today. We talked about the fact that being with Jesus is not just a sentimental or theological concept, but that we can actually be with him. So ask the question for whoever's in your living room, kitchen, what are ways that we can be with Jesus this week? The second thing, Let's talk about things that we may struggle with, storms that we feel like we may be in or thinking of neighbors who are in a storm that we might pray for or think about or ways that we might go and try to join them and get in their boat in the storm. Think through ways that we can either understand our struggles or go and help others who are struggling. And then the third question I, I really want you to think about is this, has Jesus rescued you and if so what did he rescue you from and what does that mean for today what does it mean for next week jesus can be a misunderstood king he was by his own disciples but i can tell you this he's a kind and patient king as you guys discuss what we learn together and apply it next week i pray that you see the evidence of grace all around you and we look forward to seeing you again very soon